Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I worked at the North Rim Lodge in 2015 at the Grand Canyon. The first day I got there, I was told the reason why the transept trail was roped off was because a teenage girl had leapt to her death on a family vacation while they were walking to the lodge. That same week, a co-worker of mine went down to Phantom Ranch on a full-day hike with some other new hires. 
They ran into a grown man having a heat stroke. She tried to help him, and he died in her arms. His brother watched it happen. Two adult men who hiked up R2R annually. The girl had a breakdown a few days later and went back to Ohio. Hope you are doing okay, Steve. That same summer, we used to camp at Marble Viewpoint. There was a Cairn-type tribute with a box of a man's last memories of his wife who had fallen on a trip with her friends a couple years prior. Bunch of pictures and stories in a metal lunchbox, pretty much. So beautiful. They got married at that viewpoint several years prior. It was encouraged that you leave a little note in the logbook sharing your experience with Marble View so that he could come back and read them while visiting the spot. One night, me and like five co-workers are camping there, and we checked the box like we always did. The next morning, the site was destroyed. A couple hundred rocks at least were just gone. Not scattered around either, but thrown over the edge or just removed entirely. It was like the monument was never even there. The box was gone too. Can't imagine when it happened or who did it, but there were only like two other families camping there, and we talked to everyone, and they all said they were in their tents the whole night. Really sad shit. I hope whoever trashed the place had some remorse and tried to return the box somehow. I've been working in national parks for years now at various concessionaires and lodges, and it is one tragic story after another of death and sadness and shit. Every single year... There are new people that are lost or murdered or die because of a drunken mistake. I could literally tell stories I've been told or witnessed for hours. My best friend told me yesterday that I should write down my experiences so that I don't forget them. There's some serious gems. Maybe he's right. The remote mountain range stood before us, its peaks hidden in an eerie mist. I led a team of United States Marines with Stephen as my second-in-command, a man known for his occasional indulgence in horror podcasts. We were dispatched to investigate a string of unexplained deaths and unsettling incidents that plagued the local population. Venturing into the heart of the wilderness, an ominous silence enveloped us. Every step felt heavy as if the very air held secrets waiting to be revealed. Our senses heightened. We treaded cautiously, wary of what lurked beyond the veil of fog. Little did we know that the mist-shrouded peaks harbored an ancient evil. It began with unsettling noises, strange growls and bone-chilling howls echoing through the valleys. As night fell, shadows danced in the darkness, and a sense of dread settled upon us. We soon realized that we were not alone. A creature, a menacing amalgamation of the dogmen and Bigfoot legends, stalked our every move, fueled by vengeance and power. Trapped in a battle against this formidable cryptid, we fought with all our might. The creature's strength and ferocity were unmatched, and it seemed to possess an otherworldly intelligence. Yet we refused to yield determined to unravel the mysteries of Devil's Peak and put an end to the curse that had befallen this land, we pressed forward. Days turned into nights as we waged our war against the beast. Each encounter pushed us to our limits, testing our courage and resilience. We hunted for clues, seeking weaknesses to exploit, but the cryptid proved a formidable adversary. 
The darkness that clung to Devil's Peak seemed to protect its secrets. Finally, in a climactic battle, we managed to gain the upper hand. Through teamwork, strategy, and sheer determination, we subdued the creature, bringing it to its knees. Yet our victory was short-lived. As we contacted our commander to relay our success, Kai operatives arrived unexpectedly. They swiftly confiscated the cryptid's body, leaving us perplexed. Their words sent chills down our spines. They warned us to remain silent revealing that over 10,000 cryptids lurked in the depths of the United States National Parks alone. We were left with more questions than answers. What other horrors hid in the shadows? And why were these cryptids kept a secret? As we disbanded, our minds haunted by the truth we had uncovered, we knew our battle against the unknown had only just begun. This didn't happen to me. It happened to my parents. My parents were hiking in an area called the Brecon Beacons, United Kingdom, which is known for its waterfalls, but also as one of the most dangerous areas to walk in the United Kingdom. Due to its unpredictable weather and treacherous terrain, my parents were walking along a path that ran parallel to the edge of a cliff. A man and his stepson were coming towards them from the other direction, pushing their bikes. My parents moved against the cliff wall in order to let them pass. As the boy was walking past his tire, slipped on the wet ground, and his bike pulled him off the edge of the cliff, he fell maybe 50 feet and hit his head on the rocks below, which killed him instantly. The boy was maybe 12 or 13, according to my parents. My mom struggles to speak about it now, and it happened nearly 30 years ago. Years ago, my buddy and I decided to go on a backpacking trip using historical gear. After months of careful preparation, we dressed up like Vikings and went into the woods. We had a great time, but ended up not being able to camp because the mosquitoes were so bad. Still, fun little adventure. The place we chose was a popular trail, and we must have passed dozens of other hikers, including some kind of youth group. We'd smile and wave and people would say hi back or sometimes do a double take or just stare. When I look at it from their perspective, it must have been weird as if. You come around the corner and here are two people in wool and leather, blanket rolls slung over their backs, axes and knives on their belts, just casually out for a little stroll. One person asked if we were mushroom hunting. No one else commented on or questioned what we were up to probably because of the axes, in retrospect. Toward the end of the hike, I fell way behind my friend. I was too out of shape, and my feet were killing me. I imagine that was even weirder to encounter. Two costumed weirdos together are very different than one costumed weirdo, and then another one about 20 minutes later. My wife, grandmother, and friend's wife are the actual witness. I'm just typing what they said to me. My buddy and I had left the wife's and grandmother at camp to set out on my evening elk hunt. It was about 2.30 p.m. We had been gone for four hours and then returned to camp to rest. When the ladies ran to us and told me about what they had saw, around 4.30 p.m. they were looking down in a clear cut below the helicopter pad. We were camped on. 
when my grandmother said she saw something that might be an elk. When my wife and her friend looked, they both couldn't believe what they saw. It was a hairy thing running from the tree line into the clear cut on two legs. It was sunny and clear. The creature ran through the clear cut very easily, even though there were stumps, logs, brush, and etc. When two dirt bike riders came up a trail, it cut through a portion of the clear cut. The creature stopped and ran back to the tree line, and the two riders stopped and started to point in the direction of the creature. Then the creature ran out again, picking a different direction through the clear cut. Now with a second creature a little smaller than the first, they went through the clear cut faster than any man on two legs could ever go. They then disappeared into the tree line on the other side. This is what I was told. This is not a hoax. The wife's friend is a trained marine like myself and was a non-believer until that day. And there is no question in their minds. They said that was a Bigfoot. They had dark shaggy hair like a bear's. They were on two legs. They swung their arms and stood upright and ran upright. I paced the distance to approximately 200 yards from where they stood and looked for tracks. None were found. The ground was dry and hard to much low foot brush. You can contact us. This is for real. My wife said she would talk about it. After my experience, I now believe in aliens and man in black. I live in Kensington, Maryland, the northern suburb of Washington, D.C. and Montgomery County. This event was not a dream or a hallucination. One night in September 2017, I woke up at 1.30 a.m. to the sound of a break-in. I grabbed a handgun from my bedside drawer and went to the bedroom door to confront the intruder, but was suddenly rendered unconscious as I touched the doorknob. I woke up naked and cold in a pill-shaped glass container. The lid was open, so I was able to stumble out onto the floor around the container. I felt drugged and could barely walk, but I thought I'd been kidnapped by someone, so I was urgently trying to find an escape route. The room I was in was made of composite materials, namely concrete and plastic with fluorescent lights. I limped into a hallway that was tunnel-shaped and followed a blue glow coming from down the hall. As I walked, I came out of the tunnel and entered a large cylindrical room lined with vehicles on hooks along the walls. These were human vehicles, mostly Japanese and German cars motorcycles, but some vehicles were clearly from the American military. In the center of the room was what looked like a metal tree that was six stories tall with glowing blue leaves. Upon closer inspection, this tree was a large metal cylinder and the leaves were capsules, much like the one I'd woken up in, except these still had people inside them and were radiating a neon blue glow. As I drew my eyes further up the tree, I noticed some blue wires moving around in the dark area toward the ceiling. These clumps of wires suddenly floated down toward me and turned to reveal that they had faces in them, each with two large dark eyes and narrow slits for noses and mouths. It's hard to describe, and I hate to put it this way, but think of a stereotypical gray alien face and picture it floating in a tangled up mess of tentacles. There were three of them, one smiling and two frowning. There was an exchange of words and charades between myself and the smiling one for roughly ten minutes, but I was so exhausted and they were so advanced that there was no pertinent information shared between us. I passed out, 
then woke up again, face, down on a glass floor. I was too tired to move, so I tilted my head up just enough to take a look around. The room was circular, about 150 square, feet in size, and a bright, sterile white color. One of the tentacle creatures was in the room, but was busy facing away and operating a set of strange controls with no buttons or levers. I laid my head back down, but saw through the glass floor that we had risen out of a deep black hole that was dug into a grassy plain. A rock-shaped lid closed around the hole to cover it as we flew further up. This is when I realized I was in a spacecraft, and we had actually been in a silo of some sort that's here on Earth somewhere. I passed out and was awoken by the sensation of being dropped back, first on my bed with a hard thud. I checked my phone and it read 6.30 a.m. The whole trip had been exactly five hours. I'm not going into any further detail, but I found an object had been inserted and cauterized into my right leg, and I had a run-in with some men in black suits within four days of the abduction. I've never believed in abductions, UFOs, or men in blacks. None of that. But now I've got no choice. I'm annoyed that there's no official place to get legitimate information or help on this subject since the experience was traumatic and any kind of clarity would help fix that. MUFON simply ignored me, so I'm reporting this information to you. Hopefully it helps someone somewhere. It was September 1997. Eight people and myself were camping in the Tillamook County Forest. Well, anyway, I got up about 6 a.m., got out my 22 and started out on a hike. Before leaving, I heard a friend say, wait up and I will go with you. I said fine, but no talking. I want to check out the game in the area before they check us out. About five minutes up the road, I noticed about halfway up a hill was a large rock outcropping with a black stump about nine feet tall. It was around 400 yards from us. I asked my friend, do you see that weird shiny stump on those rocks up there? He said, yes. Then I said, look at it through your scope. Then the gun went off. He said he didn't mean to fire and that he couldn't find that stump anymore. In disbelief, I looked and didn't see it anymore. When looking in the only areas something could go, I saw it walking very fast, long arms swinging, one basic black color. I said you shot at that person, or whatever it was. We ran back to camp and didn't say much because we did not want to get in trouble. Later I showed a friend who camps there all the time, the place, and he said no one could climb up there early enough to be up there by 6 a.m. I agreed. He also pointed out that there were no other camper around this area. It is in the Cook Canyon area. Very steep, rocky country. Great for elk hunting. I'm convinced that this was a Bigfoot. I've always been a non-believer of Bigfoot, but now I'm convinced. I'm always in the woods elk and deer hunting or scouting camping, etc. I've never seen anything like it, including bears standing on their rear legs, both black and brown in Alaska. This thing was tall, slimmer than bear. Thank you. I was stationed on a Navy submarine base from 1987-89. I was part of the Marine Corps Security Force team and our job was to protect certain tactical weapons. 
I had a few odd experiences during my two years there. The main area we guarded was three square miles, surrounded by two rows of chain-link fences that were separated by 50 feet and topped with razor wire. The wire, as we called it, was broken up into 50-foot sections. Each section was numbered and had multiple sensors that triggered alarm. There were stadium-type lights that faced out of the wire, so the entire inside was almost pitch black and the outside brightly lit up. The dense tree line outside was cleared back about 100 yards. There were three 60-foot towers, picture an aircraft control tower, with a searchlight on top bulletproof glass, gun ports on all four sides, a locked door at the base, spiral stairs and a trap door up top made of bulletproof metal with a gun port. I'm five feet one and had to stand on the heater box to see out the windows as the bottom of the glass was five feet. We were locked and loaded at all times while on duty as it was a live fire restricted area. Come over the fence. You will get shot. I was on 12-4 duty in one of these towers the night this happened. A sensor tripped and I investigated with my binoculars. I saw a person standing outside the first wire, but I couldn't see any features. Just a silhouette of what looked like a lost hunter, which happened occasionally I figured he looked like this due to him being close to the wire and the lights shining past him. I radioed to control that there was someone outside the wire and a mobile was dispatched. Mobiles are a truck with two Marines, Alpha, Driver, Bravo, Passenger. I jumped back up on the heater and watched the mobile approach and deploy the Bravo in the shadows, and the Alpha drove closer and turned on its light. We drove without headlights so as not to give away our position. When he turned the lights on, the guy wasn't there. I had been paying attention to the mobile and the deployment, not what I should have been doing. The Alpha and Bravo searched the area with a spotlight and radioed command clear. The mobile then drove to my tower. As soon as it stopped, the alarm triggered again in the same spot. I could see the Alpha look over and could tell that he saw the guy. The mobile raced back to the wire and I kept my bino on the guy this time. Right when the Alpha turned on his lights, the guy disappeared. I was in disbelief. The mobile came back to my tower, and instead of broadcasting on the radio, we spoke through a tower gun port, me yelling down and then moving my ear to hear. We were discussing what we each saw when the alarm triggered again. The Alpha yelled up that he saw him and took off. I jumped back up on the heater, and I was locked on the guy. This time, when he hit the lights, the guy stayed for a fraction of a second. Then he wasn't there. What I saw in that brief moment was what looked like a dark shadow of a person. No face, texture, or anything discernible, just flat black. The mobile came back to my tower and we did the gun port thing, going over what we each saw. The rest of that shift was one of the tensest times I ever had. I was constantly watching that area and hoping to not see anything. When we got off duty, the mobile and I were pulled into the corporal's room and asked what was going on. We were all hesitant to say anything but the corporal let us know that he'd seen his fair share of odd stuff at this duty station. We told him what had happened and he said he'd cover it in the report. Everything was log. Uh, as we were finishing up, the corporal pulled me aside and said, you know, I just realized... The lights hit the bottom of the outside fence, so it couldn't be. He was dark because of being backlit. We both got the shivers, and nothing was ever brought up officially about it again. 
There were plenty of guys that had things happen to them, several that I was witness to. I had just finished running some errands in town and was making my way back to my secluded cabin in the woods. The sun was setting, casting a warm orange glow over the trees as I pulled into my driveway. Little did I know that my life was about to take a terrifying turn. As I unlocked my front door, I was immediately struck by the sensation that something was off. The air inside my cabin felt heavy, as if it were charged with electricity. I stepped cautiously over the threshold, my eyes scanning the room for any signs of disturbance. That's when I noticed the disarray. Drawers were pulled open, and their contents were strewn about haphazardly. Before I had the chance to process what was happening, I heard a voice behind me. Don't scream. Don't call the police. I won't hurt you if you cooperate. I froze, my heart pounding in my chest. Slowly, I turned to face the intruder. To my shock, I found myself staring into the eyes of Eric Rudolph, the infamous bomber who was the subject of a nationwide manhunt. My mind raced. Trying to comprehend the surreal situation I found myself in. Despite the fear coursing through my veins, I managed to keep my composure. What do you want from me? I asked, my voice trembling slightly. Rudolph's expression was tense, but there was an unexpected politeness in his tone as he spoke. I just need some food and self-hygiene supplies. I don't want to hurt you, but I can't let you call the police or tell anyone where I am. As I looked at him, I could see the desperation in his eyes. It was clear that he was on the run, and my remote cabin had provided the perfect hiding spot. With no idea where he might be or what he was capable of, I felt I had no choice but to comply with his demands. Over the next several hours, I provided Rudolph with the items he requested, all the while trying to keep my fear at bay. He maintained his polite demeanor throughout our interactions, an unsettling juxtaposition to the knowledge of the terror he had inflicted upon innocent people. Finally, as the night wore on, Rudolph gathered his supplies and prepared to leave my cabin. Thank you for your help, he said, his voice calm and even. I'm sorry for the inconvenience. Remember, don't call the police. With that, he vanished into the night, leaving me shaken and disoriented. I live near Muskegon, Michigan, close to the Lake Michigan shoreline. Over the past two years, several neighbors and ourselves have witnessed many weird lights above the lake. During the last week of April, there were several strings of red and white lights moving north above the lake. I noticed the lights twice on different nights. The man across the street contacted a UFO group. I don't know the name of the group. He told my son that he had also seen unusual people in his backyard from his bedroom window late one night. When he went out to confront them, they were gone. This happened just two days after he filed a UFO report online. On two consecutive nights, my son and I saw spotlights shining from the shore of the lake. There was a field, a narrow road, and a berm between our house and the lake. It looked like the spotlights may have been mounted on vehicles. On both nights, this occurred around 11 p.m. and lasted for only a few minutes. A few days later, May 4th, about 2 p.m., I was out in the backyard working in my garden. 
A man dressed in black military garb had entered through my back gate and walked towards me. I stopped what I was doing and waited for him to say something. He wore glasses that were tinted yellow, which stood out because everything else on him was black. He also wore a plain black cap. There was no insignia. When got close, he looked directly at me, without expression, and asked if I'd noticed lights over the lake. I explained what we had seen and any other information I thought would help. He wrote everything down in a small notebook, rarely saying a word, other than anything else. When I finished, he asked if I had reported the sightings. I told him the man across the street said he contacted a UFO group, then asked, but did you contact anyone? I said, no. Then I asked him what group he was with. He just looked at me and said, thank you for cooperating. That was very weird because I felt that there was something not right about this man. I guess it was intuition, but I was creeped out. On Saturday, May 9th, around 10.30 p.m., there were more lights coming from the lake shoreline. This time, I decided to walk over and see what was going on. My son, who was 17, came with me. He was just as curious as me. We walked through the yard across the field, then over the berm to the shoreline. There were five black land rover, like vehicles about 100 yards south along the shoreline. There were also a dozen or more men in black garb moving about as soon as one of these men noticed us. He shouted there and came running towards us. He had a three feet long light colored baton with a yellow light on the end. Two other men came running towards us as well. The man with the bait and yelled, You must leave at once. This is a national security operation. My son asked who they were, but never received an answer to that question. One of the other men, who I believe was a superior, said you must leave the area immediately. Go back to your home. A representative will contact you in a day or two. We agreed and promptly left and went home. I have not been contacted by anyone since that night. My son and I went back to the shoreline and looked around, hoping that we could find something that could help us understand what had happened. There was nothing. I believe that they may have discovered something of importance just by the way they reacted to us. Is there any way of finding out who these guys were and what they were doing? During my time as captain of the Standard Oil Company steamer Dakota, I had an incredible experience that I will never forget. It was July 11, and we were sailing back from Manila when my mate called my attention to what he thought was a whale on our port bow. As we approached within about 100 feet of the creature, it became clear that this was no ordinary whale. In fact, it hardly resembled a whale at all upon closer inspection. This massive creature measured 40 feet long and 10 feet wide, with a cavernous mouth and eyes as large as locomotive headlights. As I stood on the bridge, I watched the creature intently, captivated by its fierce yet kind gaze. Just as we came almost alongside, I recall, the creature turned its head toward the ship, revealing the most ferocious face I had ever seen. The mouth seemed like the entrance to a railroad tunnel, and despite the intimidating appearance, there was a gentle look in its eyes. As we continued to observe the creature, it suddenly rolled its eyes and disappeared beneath the water's surface. Unlike a whale, which would have dove head first and waved goodbye with its tail, we never saw this mysterious creature's tail at all. 
To this day, I'm not sure if it was bidding us farewell or inviting us to join it on some adventure below the surface. Having spent many years at sea, I had never encountered a creature quite like this one. In the ship's log, we recorded the encounter at latitude 45.30 north, longitude 152 west, as evidence of our extraordinary brush with this enigmatic creature of the deep. I'm not sure if I'm hyper-aware or paranoid, but I've had several weird things happen recently in hearing many others with similar stories, too. First, several months ago, I was in a shopping center, and a man walking towards me on the sidewalk said, Hey, you dropped something. I looked him in the eye and kept walking. I knew I hadn't dropped anything. About 30 minutes later, I went downtown a few-minute drive from where I was before. In walking in a busy area with a lot of restaurants, another man said did the exact same thing, only this time he was aggressive and rude yelling at me for not giving him a response. The second weird encounter was while walking my dog on a grass area behind my apartment. The city owns the land, however, I've never seen people walk around there. As I was walking out of a little wooded area there, my dog abruptly turns around and barks at a man. He acted very surprised when I turned around, and my initial thought was that he was following me. He asked me if I'd seen a cat, and then laughed. I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt that he was nervous, but I felt weird for days after. Who laughs when they are missing their pet, though, and the last encounter was in my office space I rent. I have neighbors in the building, and specifically a new one interacted with me. He came to my door and knocked and started to tell me about himself. He told me he doesn't have friends in the office building. Neither do I because I'm only there for work. Our conversation was pleasant, but then he said I asked, name I can't remember, which car you drive. I never get to see you here and wondered he asked for my contact for my business and I was reluctant between giving my email or phone number. He acted so frustrated and said just give me one or give me a card. Honestly, I was nervous and just blurted it out in hopes I'd never interact with him again. When I didn't respond to a message from him a few days later, he came back to my office while I was with a client. He slipped notes through the door, and I decided to tell him politely I was too busy and not accepting new clients. The friends I've talked to say to me to trust my gut and keep my distance. I don't leave my office without walking with someone or calling someone now. I'm just tired of being on edge. In the spring of 2021, I was driving home from work on a long, dark stretch of highway from Fairbanks, Alaska to Isleson AFB. About halfway home, there was a bright flash all around me, almost like a flash of a huge camera going off. Right after the flash, everything in my car started to die slowly. The lights went out, the radio stopped working, and eventually the car died completely. My first thought was a battery problem. The next thing I remember was the car starting up again on its own and everything working as before. I drove home thinking it had only been a few seconds. I was completely shocked when I arrived at our house in military housing to find out that I had lost an hour and 20 minutes. 
I have absolutely no memory of what happened during that time. Ever since that incident, I've had many medical issues and severe back problems. Doctors always ask me if I've had an injury. My husband and I have been married for 15 years and have seen many UFOs in our travels across the United States. The largest one was in Mozilla, Alaska, somewhere around 2016. It was about the length of three football fields. Several cars were stopped along the road watching it and it was reported in the paper the next day. Even state troopers reported seeing it. After that sighting, my husband began having vivid dreams. We found out about five years ago that my husband's blood type changed. He'd been typed in high school and throughout his military career. As typo, he had a physical five years ago and was typed a plus. The doctors thought there was a mistake and sent him to the hospital to be retyped. Although all his previous records showed a plus, he is now. A plus is confirmed by three separate doctors. The dreams for my husband still continue. Man have stopped for now, but we still see many UFOs. Some just lights, and some we can see the entire body of the ship. I haven't reported any of this before because of fear of reprisal. In late February, amidst the enchanting landscape that straddles the border of Westmoreland and Indiana counties, my senses were ignited by a sighting that would forever alter my perception of the supernatural. It was an early morning around 7.15 a.m. when the world was still cloaked in a tranquil embrace. Little did I know that I was about to become a witness to an otherworldly encounter. I found myself in a remote rural area near the Chestnut Ridge, surrounded by a serene stillness. As I cast my gaze toward a weathered building, a peculiar sight caught my attention. Behind the structure stood a diminutive figure, approximately four feet tall, draped in a shroud of gray hair. It resembled a small Bigfoot, but there was something subtly different about its appearance. Mesmerized by this enigmatic creature, I began to notice a curious phenomenon unfolding around me. Echoing through the air emanating from the depths of the nearby woods came a series of haunting whoop-whoop sounds. Each resonant call sent shivers down my spine as if beckoning the smaller creature to answer its cryptic summons. Without hesitation, the diminutive being sprang into motion its agile form darting toward the origin of the haunting calls. I stood there rooted to the spot as the mysteries of the unseen world unfolded before my eyes. The boundaries of reality seemed to blur, leaving me suspended between awe and trepidation. Two days later, on that very same property, a new chapter in this unfolding tale of the extraordinary was written. A putrid stench reminiscent of rotting meat or decaying eggs, permeated the air, weaving an atmosphere of unease. The odor lingered for what felt like an eternity, tainting the very essence of the surroundings, before gradually dissipating into the ethereal abyss. As if responding to this unholy scent, the resident's faithful canine companion fell ill, overcome by a mysterious malaise. The once vibrant and eager companion now cowered in fear, refusing to venture beyond the threshold of the familiar. It was as though the tendrils of an unseen force had ensnared the very spirit of the faithful creature. 
This remarkable series of events became a chapter in the storied history of this enigmatic locale. The whispers of previous encounters between beings akin to Bigfoot echoed through the annals of time, intertwining with a tapestry of legends and folklore that had woven its way into the fabric of this land. As I reflect on my encounter, I am left with more questions than answers. My best friend and I worked overnight security at a Waffle House in 2002-ish. He was tall, lanky, and had a death metal vibe. I was wide, stout, and bearded like a dwarf. We looked like badasses. We were not. We waited in line for Harry Potter 4 and attended a weekly vampire, the Masquerade LARP. We were not badasses. The reason this particular Waffle House required such lackluster security was one town over. The stretch of Tulane that passed by our Waho connected one dusty country-ass town to a dusty A, though slightly less country town. Hicktown A had a considerable black population. Hicktown B had the nearest dance club. Everything else in between was cowboy whiskey halls. Every weekend night at 2 a.m., everyone who had made the pilgrimage to Hicktown B for healthy doses of alcohol and ass passed by the Waho and we filled the capacity until 4 a.m. For the most part, the presence of security was an overreaction from a Hicktown Waho owner. We were busy, but there was rarely any kind of trouble. Sometimes words would be exchanged over the counter. We'd stand up. The rowdy customer would say, man, of this place. And leave, by the time they got to our counter, everyone was pretty partied out and just wanted something scattered, smothered, covered, chunked, and diced before they passed out. One night, things got scary. My buddy Ray and I were sitting by the jukebox on our sixth White Snake song because it was the only thing on the machine that didn't twang. Around one, a young interracial couple came in. Cute kids, late teens, nice customers. About ten minutes after the kids came in, a pack of white supremacists walks in. This was before 2016. This was when white supremacists still stayed in their holes and hadn't yet aligned with a political party. They were rare. You only saw them in prison shows and Ed Norton movies, but here they were, six of them, cliché tattoos and all. They sat at the bar, backs to the door. Their shirts were adorned with slogans that made a civilization cry. Ray and I looked to the manager for some kind of silent message. We were a little worried. We weren't worried because they were there. We weren't worried because there was an interracial couple sitting 20 feet from Nazis. What worried us was that it was 1.30. In 30 minutes, our establishment would be hosting, on average... Forty young, drunk black men and women who live every day under the weight of the continuous oppression and sour demeanor of Southern hospitality. Those men and women will open our doors and through a haze of smoke and Hennessy, see white power shouted at them six different horrible ways from the backs at the bar. It was going to get ugly. There was going to be blood, but based on the way we expected the 40 Vs, six fight to go. We weren't sure we were going to get involved at all. The boss came and sat with us for a moment. We had a little meeting, kind of a fight coordination. 
I'd get Faye Tass on the ground. Ray would pop Dad across the nose. The kitchen was there for backup, and they were ready to dive in. We waited. The kitchen double-timed their orders in hopes of getting them out quick. The kids got their food. They ate calmly, casting the occasional nervous glance. The filth got their food. They ate calmly, casting the occasional hateful glance. The filth stood up, dropped a bunch of cash, and left. It was one fifty-seven. Five minutes later, the customary trickle of stumblers, who the definition of young, dumb, and full of cum, came pouring in. Five minutes. Those hillbilly men were five minutes away from dying. I've always wondered if they meant to start shit and just chickened out, or if they just got lucky and left at the right time. Either way, the moment they left was one of the biggest reliefs of my life. I'll never forget that night, even though in the end, nothing happened. I and my wife live in a mid-sized city in a fairly populated area in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, just off a very busy main road. This happened around June or July of 2022. We mostly live around older people and college students, and rent is very cheap, as it's not the nicest neighborhood. My wife's job is a five-minute walk from our apartment, and she was getting home very late that night, around 1.30 a.m., she came in looking scared to death and eventually told me she saw the following. She said there was a small humanoid running out from between ours and our neighbor's house. It was dressed like and had the proportions of an approximately four-year-old child and wore a striped shirt and pants. She said he stopped. He appeared to be a boy and looked in her direction briefly before running off between another house. The child appeared to have a potato sack or burlap sack over his head. It was possibly drawn on. She is a major vibes person, but she has never said anything like this before, though she has excellent instincts. She didn't get a sense it was evil, but she was terrified after. If I bring up the child, she gets freaked out and won't talk about it. No small children live on our street, and there are regular gunshots, screaming, angry homeless guys that we are very accustomed to after three years of living here. In short, it's not a place an approximately four-year-old child would be out alone at 1.30 a.m. She also did not tell me what happened right away. She appeared scared but talked about work, unrelated things before telling me that. I think she thought I would judge her, tell her she was lying. It never happened again, and I have never seen or felt anything. If anyone has any theories, I'd love to know. It freaks me out to think about it. Especially because that house he ran from is owned by a bachelor and has an enclosed, gated backyard. So I spoke to her again about it. She said that it was strange because the door to our next-door neighbor's backyard was closed and it seemed to go through the door. She said it ran in an unusually playful manner and seemed scared only when it stopped to look at her. It actually ran to the opposite side of the same house, which I got wrong the first time. From her report, it did not run like a child, but had a quick, playful movement, sort of like a rabbit. It made no sound or movement to indicate distress other than running, skipping, away quicker than a child would. She felt it was an internal sense that it was paranormal and that she saw something she wasn't supposed to, should not continue. If it has to have a face to be a humanoid, I apologize. I wasn't aware, honestly, and was trying to learn about the story. This is Pittsburgh. 
No, the bag covered the child's entire head, but she did say that the burlap bag may have been drawn on, like two little X over the eyes, but not a full face. She did not glimpse the skin color or cannot remember from shock. It didn't speak or make any sound that she can remember. It just ran. 